Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is World Communion Sunday when all Christians everywhere celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. Why, however, does the sacrament go by so many different names? Join us for a three-part message, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist. Today is World Communion Sunday which means that all Christians everywhere throughout the world will be celebrating the sacrament of Holy Communion over uh, a 24-hour period. Now, you may be asking, why does this sacrament go by so many names? And we're going to talk about that a little later with our message, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, and Eucharist. Matthew 26, 26 through 30. Listen now for the word of God. While they were eating... Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. In my family, if you were in kindergarten or younger, after you attended Sunday school, you went and you stayed in the nursery during the actual worship service. In fact, on my recent vacation in North Carolina, I stayed with one of my oldest friends, and we were literally in the church nursery together. From, from, child, from infanthood on. But in my family, once you began the first grade, you went and you sat with your family and you got to attend worship in the big sanctuary. It was a real rite of passage because I got to now sit with the big kids. Now, as children, we would participate in all the liturgies, we'd sing all the hymns. But when the sermon began, I usually only listened to like the first part because the pastor always, he, he, and it always was a he when I was growing up, he would start the sermon with a story. And so I would listen to the story. But once he started to go off in his explanation, my mind would kind of wander, drift off. I'd start drawing on the, the, the offering envelopes. I might look at the take-home sheet I had from Sunday school, or sometimes I just daydreamed until it was time to stand up and sing the last hymn. Well, one Sunday during the worship service, and it was not too long after I started attending, my family suddenly stood up and we started to walk out of the pew. Well, I was confused, but I said, okay, I guess we're leaving, so I picked up my stuff to go. That's when my brother started laughing at me. Thanks to all big brothers everywhere, that's what they do, keep you in line by laughing at you. And my mother motioned for me to put my stuff back down on the pew, and I was still confused, but I followed my family up to the front of the church where we all knelt at the railing, and then the minister gave each one of us a tiny, teeny, tiny little cracker and a shot glass filled with grape juice. (laughs) I wasn't sure what was happening, but I certainly appreciated having a snack in the middle of worship. (laughs) Now, it wasn't as good as a chocolate donut, but I did enjoy it. And I began to look forward to Communion Sundays. And over time, I gradually came to have an understanding of what it was that we were doing. And so on this World Communion Sunday, I wanted us to take a look at Holy Communion and explore what exactly communion is and what it means 
what's really happening here? What does the church believe and teach about communion, and why is it important? So I decided to structure our explanation using kind of a three-part outline, because Protestants use three different names for the sacrament. In the United Methodist Church and most mainline denominations, we currently use the term Holy Communion or just communion most often. But when I was growing up, we tended to use the term the Lord's Supper more often than not. And that's still the preferred term in many Baptist and evangelical uh, churches. On the other hand, our Episcopal and Anglican brothers and sisters tend to use the term Eucharist more often. So instead of getting one long sermon today, I'm going to be presenting three shorter sermons or homilies using three different scriptures and based on these three names for this sacramental meal. So first the Lord's Supper, then Holy Communion, and then Eucharist. And in between we'll, we'll explore each of these through a hymn of the church. Now before we look at the first, three, the first of these names, we want to ask, what exactly is a sacrament? Well, sacraments are included in what John Wesley called the means of grace. And means of grace are words, signs, and actions that serve to communicate God's grace to us. In addition to the sacraments, there, there are other means of grace, things like reading the Bible, worshiping, uh, individual and corporate prayer, fasting, walking the labyrinth, serving others in Christ's name. These are also what we might also call a lot of times spiritual disciplines. But the sacraments are special among the means of grace. They're special because it was Jesus himself who instituted them, gave them to the church, and then commanded us to perform them. And so in the United Methodist Church, we recognize two sacraments, the Lord's Supper slash Holy Communion slash Eucharist, and of course, baptism as well. Think about it, though, this way. God's grace, God's grace is like the air that we breathe. It's just like it's just always there. And almost every second of our lives, we're surrounded by air, and we breathe in and we breathe out most of the time without even thinking about it. You know, grace is, is like that, too. It's just always there, where we're conscious of it or not. Now, sometimes when we go outside we may notice there's a breeze and we can become conscious then of the movement of the air. It can be particularly great on a hot Texas day. It cools us off, it comforts us. Well, it's kind of like what the means of grace do, uh, does. Just as the breeze makes us more aware of the air that's surrounding us, the means of grace, such as Bible study, prayer, serving others, they make us more aware of the grace that always surrounds us. Then there come those times when even a stronger wind blows, a strong wind capable of, say, turning a windmill or spreading a fire or propelling, propelling a ship across the sea. And those are kind of like sacraments. The sacraments then can concentrate our experience of God's grace in ways that are life-transforming. I like to say that grace are kind of like the wind tunnels, or excuse me, the sacraments are kind of like the wind tunnels of God's grace. It's where you really, really feel God's grace. Now, when we use the term the Lord's Supper for the sacrament, 
we're reminded it, it is the Lord's Supper. Christ is the host. Christ is at the head of the table. And it's Christ who invites us to that table. You often hear me say that this is, uh, that this is the Lord's table, not a Methodist table, not a Trinity table, certainly not the pastor's table. It is the Lord's table. And you may have noticed that whenever we start the sacrament, I always start it with these words, Christ our Lord invites and welcomes all people throughout the earth to the table of God. And because it's by Christ's invitation that we come forward, it doesn't really matter who you're taking the supper besides. It doesn't matter who's assisting in the supper. It doesn't matter who consecrates the elements of the supper because it's Christ's invitation to which we're responding. And because of that, United Methodists practice an open table. All who wish to respond to Christ's invitation are welcome. Regardless of how old they are, whatever their religious affiliation, they don't have to be a member of our church. In fact, our open table is even more open than even other denominations that say they have an open table. In other denominations, you have to at least be baptized. In the United Methodist Church, we say truly anyone who wants to come forward is invited to come forward. And so we, are, we have just about the most radically open table in, in Christendom. Well, several years ago in a previous church, the senior pastor and I were having a major disagreement. I was very angry with him, and he was not particularly pleased with me. And one Sunday, I was so livid at him that I could hardly I, speak to him, much less even look him in the eye. And then I realized that we were scheduled to serve the sacrament together in the early chapel service that morning. This made me even angrier. But I went, and after consecrating the elements, that pastor turned and looked at me with angry eyes, and I kind of sneered back at him. But then he took a piece of bread, and he gave it to me, and said, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And he gave me a cup, and he held it out for me, and said, this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And then I took the elements and gave it to him, and I said the same things. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Neither one of us smiled, but we did serve each other. And then we served the congregation. I knew that I was not receiving the elements from the pastor. I was receiving them from Christ through the pastor. And I think both of us knew in that moment that we were in desperate need of God's grace. Because our, our disagreements continued for the entire time I was at that church, but we never let it interfere with the leading of worship and certainly not with conducting the sacraments. It is way too holy of a thing to do to let a human disagreement mar it. Another incident at that same church, a member came up to me and questioned whether it was appropriate for a certain young woman to assist with the supper. You see, this young woman in question had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. And the member thought that this young woman wasn't worthy of the honor of serving the sacrament. Well, I told the member that the reason the young woman was assisting is because she had been trained in how to, how to assist and she had experience doing it. But then I gently explained that if we insisted that the pastor consecrating the elements or the persons serving the elements were without sin we would never receive the elements. 
the sacrament of the Lord's Supper has nothing to do with human worthiness. I'm not worthy to consecrate the elements. The people who help serve are not worthy of serving the elements. No one is worthy of receiving the elements because it has nothing to do with human worthiness. I've seen far too many people over the years choose not to come forward to be served because at that particular time in their life, they felt just too much guilt or shame. And I'm telling you, church, those times when you're feeling that kind of guilt and shame are exactly the time when you need a sacrament most of all. I think of the words of that wonderful hymn, Come sinners to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. You need not one be left behind, for God hath bid all humankind. Partaking the Lord's Supper is an act of remembrance. We even have do this in remembrance of me here. You see carved in the front of our communion table. When we partake in the Lord's Supper, we remember all the times that Jesus very willingly ate with the sinners. We remember that last meal that he shared with his disciples. We remember his promise of a new covenant. We remember how he gave his body and blood on that cross. And we remember that one day we will drink it anew with him in our Father's kingdom. So as we partake in the Lord's Supper today, remember that this is an invitation to the grace of Jesus Christ. Our second scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, and 26 to 27. Listen now for the word of God. And just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we, shall all, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Both my mother and then four years later, my father died during the season of Lent. In both cases, particularly my mother's case, they had been bedridden prior to their deaths and they had been unable to come to worship or partake in communion. It was very meaningful to me then when after each of their deaths, I realized that the next time I would receive communion would be on Easter morning. And it would be the first time I'd share communion with either of my parents in years. If my parents were dead, however, how could I share communion with them? But when we call the sacrament Holy Communion, we're emphasizing that the sacrament takes place in community. And in fact, communion creates community. And part of the meaning that we put with World Communion Sunday is that virtually all Christians around the world will participate in this sacrament on this one day 
In that way, despite all of our differences, we're still made one through this one sacrament. Our understanding of this community, however, goes deeper than simply the sharing of a liturgy. It is always true that when we partake in Holy Communion, we're not only sharing communion with the other persons that are in the room, but with all Christians everywhere in the world, even if those Christians are not simultaneously sharing the sacrament with us. And this is true every time we have communion, whether it's World Communion Sunday or not. And furthermore, when we partake in the sacrament of communion, we're sharing communion with all Christians everywhere throughout time. The communion of the saints is present and with us. All the Christians that have gone before and all the Christians who will come after us are part of this communion of saints. The entire body of Christ is present. And that includes my mom and my dad. And it includes your loved ones who have passed over. It includes your descendants after you. All those descendants into the future to a people yet unborn. United Methodists also believe that Christ is present in the communion elements in a very real way. Now you may be familiar with the Roman Catholic understanding of the communion elements called transubstantiation. And this is the belief that during the consecration, the bread and wine become the actual substance of the body and blood of Christ and in a rather literal sense, even though they retain the shape, form, and taste of bread and wine. Now this does not describe the United Methodist position. In United Methodist theology, the elements don't actually change in substance, yet we believe that Christ is truly present in a unique way within the body of the elements, as well as in the liturgy and the proclamation of the gospel and the gathered community of the body of Christ. Communion is indeed a remembrance and a memorial meal, but it's just a lot more than just that. Christ is actually present now, and we call this, and we even capitalize it, the real presence of Christ. And that's why we treat the consecrated elements with such respect. We don't just throw them away or pour them down the drain. We actually consume the elements or we return them to nature to nourish God's creation. So then the concept of communion is both wide and it's deep. We share it together within this church family. We share it with all other Christians throughout time and space. And we share it in the real presence of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, which is also repeated then as part of our liturgy, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? And because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Our final scripture of the day comes from Psalms 100, one of my favorites. So listen now to the word of God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord in all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that hath made us, and he, we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Our final exploration of the sacrament is found in the name Eucharist. Now, Eucharist comes from the Greek language. It literally means thanksgiving. In the sacrament, we thank the Lord for all the ways God's love and grace touches our lives and all the ways that Christ has been present with us in the past. And this is why Eucharist always takes place after the reading of Scripture and the sermon. Because after we've heard the word proclaimed, after we've heard the gospel proclaimed, our natural reaction then should be one of overwhelming thanksgiving. The prayer that I say when I stand behind the table to consecrate the elements is called the great thanksgiving. At the beginning, I even say, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And you always reply, it is right to give our thanks and praise. And then what follows is a threefold Trinitarian prayer of thanksgiving. In the first part, we thank God the Father, our Father, our God Almighty, and we recite the biblical history of all the mighty acts of God. And then we sing what we call the unending hymn that begins with Holy, Holy, Holy Lord. The second part, we thank God the Son. And then we recite the many things that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. And we end that section by proclaiming what we call the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And in that final part, we beseech the Holy Spirit to come upon us and upon the elements. And this is the place within the great thanksgiving where the elements are consecrated. And where we believe that that real presence of Christ descends upon them. Then after a final doxology, we all say amen together. Now, while I've tried to describe and explain the church's beliefs about the sacrament, ultimately uh, sacraments are beyond human comprehension. In fact, the United Methodist official interpretive and teaching document on Holy Communion is called This Holy Mystery. And it is indeed a holy mystery. Because I think the sacraments disclose mysteries of God that are beyond what we can know through reason alone. You see, since we are embodied creatures, human beings crave physical, material evidence of God's interaction with and providential care for us and the body of Christ. The sacraments provide a tangible and a visible medium through which God communicates the reality of grace. And so indeed, through the Eucharist, we can literally taste and see that the Lord is good. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday where we are having a special sermon, Will I See My Pet in Heaven? You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. 
If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.